I think most of you know that uh, this past March, February, March, uh, a police officer was shot in Colorado, uh, Eric Talley. I do know there's a few of you who do not know this. And Eric Talley served here every year as a counselor at camp. His grandfather's actually, his father-in-law, excuse me, is actually with us this year, as many years have passed. But one of the young police officers here in the Cincinnati area wrote to the Boulder police and asked for some insignia of their uh, police station and uh, for Mr. Officer Talley. And uh, he put it into a shadow box, which we have here. I wanted you to see it because many of you contributed towards the staff building, which is about to be complete within the next couple of weeks. I have very high hopes. And I have high hopes that you will take a tour of it with Father Jenkins on Saturday. I'll leave you this afternoon. But uh, we are dedicating that building on Friday of Boys Camp, the first Friday of Boys Camp, to Officer Eric Tal. We're going to bless the building and, and uh, enshrine this memorial to Officer Tally. Uh, he's a great friend. He was a very courageous man. He was a very good example for the boys here at the summer camp, and they liked him very much. Anyhow, my third conference is that God deserves to be loved above all things. St. Teresa said that it was a great favor that God should call a soul to love him. And let us then, men, love him since we are called to this love. And let us love him as he deserves to be loved, which we never can, but as much as humanly possible. Let us love the Lord. We read from the scriptures, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Blessed or venerable Louis de Ponte, I guess that's of the bridge, Louis of the bridge, he felt ashamed at saying to God, O oh Lord, I love thee above everything. Because when he, th he said that, he would think I love thee more than all the creatures, more than all the riches, more than all the honors, more than all earthly pleasures. It seemed to him, the reason why he was ashamed, it seemed to him in saying this, he was saying, oh Lord, I love thee more than straw. I love thee more than smoke. I love thee more than dust. Because there's such a infinite distance between things created and the creator. God is satisfied that we should love him above all things. Therefore, at least let us love, let us say to the Lord, yes, Lord, I love thee more than the honors of the world. I more the, love thee more than the riches that I have amassed. I love thee more than my kindred, my own family. I love thee more than my friends. I love thee more than my own good health. I love thee more than my good name. I love thee more than all the science that man has concluded. I love thee more than the comforts that I have every day. I love thee more than everything I possess, and I love thee more than myself. That's what you're striving to do by being here. That's what you're striving to do in your life. 
In order to do this, we must value his graces and his gifts. But more than all the gifts that he's given to us, we must value his love for us. We must value him, he himself, who alone is infinite goodness, who alone is a God worthy of infinite love, which exceeds every other good thing. Whatever God may give to us short of himself is insufficient. That sounds ungrateful, but if you understand it properly, it's not. Whatever God may give us short of himself, which is not of God, is not sufficient. He alone can suffice for us. Let others seek what they will. They may find happiness in some temporary trifles. It'll only be a temporary happiness. They will never find everlasting happiness in the created. And thus we must seek God alone. He must be my love and my all. In God alone can I receive everything I desire. It's in God. It's not in a better position at work. It's not in more money in the bank account. It's not even in your children and your spouse. You're only gonna find happiness in God alone. Amongst all of our friends of this world, where can we find a friend more worthy of love and more faithful than God? Thomas Akempis said in this morning's readings, they're your friends today, they've abandoned you tomorrow. Friendship on this earth is fickle. Who has loved us more than God? And therefore we should pray every day, my dear men, O Lord, draw me after thee. For if thou dost not draw me after thee, I cannot come to thee. We can't even have a good thought without his help. Only after we have divested ourselves of any other affections will we seek God alone. We try to separate ourselves from the attachments of the worldly things. We make resolution after resolution to do this or that. But some mundane affection enters into our heart and draws us away from God. We ask God to separate us with his powerful hand and to make himself the sole object of our affections and of our thoughts. St. Augustine said that he who has God has everything. And he who has not God has nothing, even if he's the richest man in the world. He posits a question so often asked, what doth the prophet of man that he possesses many treasures of gold and jewels if he lives apart from God? What does it profit a monarch to extend his dominions if he has not the grace of God? What does it profit a man of letters to understand many sciences, many languages, if he knows not how to love his God? What does it profit a general to command an army if he lives a slave to the devil? 
and far from God. Well, we had a king and a general who did just that. His name was David. He was a, uh, he was a king of the Old Testament. He fell into sin, as you well know, and he lived in the state of sin for a while. He would walk his gardens in the evening, peace and security around him. He would attend his sports, like many of you and your children, and all the other pleasures of his kingdom. But these creatures, he said, seemed to say to him, where is thy God? There's something missing here. Where is thy God? He could find no happiness in sin. He could find no happiness in sport. He could find no happiness in his garden without God. These creatures seemed to say to him, Go seek God whom thou hast left, for he alone can give thee rest. There is no rest in idleness. And thus David confessed that in the midst of all these delights, he found no peace. He mourned day and night, considering that he was without God. He said, tears were my bread day and night, while they daily said to me, where is thy God? In the midst of all the miseries and toils of this world, none can console us but our Lord Jesus Christ. He alone says, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy burdened, and I will refresh you. It certainly gives a new, richer, higher meaning to the word refresh. I will refresh you. One single tear shed for our sins by us. One cry, my God, in reverence, uttered in love by a soul in the state of grace is worth more than a thousand festivals is worth more than a thousand plagues, is worth more than a thousand banquets in giving contentment to the heart in love with the world. The night cometh in which no man can work. And then, it, then scripture encourages to work while it is day. That took on a new meaning for me when I was about 18 17 years of age. I had a dear friend named Norm Cole. He was a Protestant minister who turned farmer. If any of you are farmers, you know you don't go bailing hay at 10 o'clock at night. Well, he didn't know that because all the dew starts to set in on the things and the, the moisture builds up and the bells will mold and they will become very heavy and the strings will be very loose. You'll hit yourself in, in the chin if you're not careful when you go to pick them up. He didn't know that, okay? So it gave, it gave new definition to the term to me, the night cometh and when no man can work. Let God alone then be our treasure. Let him be all of our love and let all of our desires be to please almighty God. God will not suffer us to be more lovable than he. Any act of love we give to another in his name, it will be given back to us greater. He rewards, as the scripture says, a hundredfold. Everything that we do to give him pleasure, 
He rewards us. He must be the ruling power of your soul, not some passion, not some created good that you blindly work for, you accumulate, and then you die. And it goes to another. We must choose to love him above all things, and so we must prefer his will to our own pleasures. He shed his blood for us here on earth that we may love none but him upon earth. He's a jealous God. He wants all of our love in order that we may one day come and possess him forever in the kingdom of heaven. In order that a soul may become holy, it must give itself to God without reserve. You're not all called, and perhaps none of you are called to the religious life. You still must give yourself without reserve to Almighty God. St. Philip Neri said that so much of our love as we fix upon creatures, we take away from God. And therefore our Savior is jealous of our hearts. As our Lord has loved us so abundantly, our Lord desires to reign alone in your heart. He doesn't want any companions in your heart, which may rob him of a portion of that love, which is rightfully wholly his, entirely his. And therefore it displeases him to see us attached to any affection, to things which are not of him and for him. Does he ask too much? Does our Savior ask too much after having given his blood and life, dying upon the cross for you and me? Does he not deserve to be loved by us with all of our hearts and without reserve? St. John of the Cross said that every attachment to creatures hinder us from belonging wholly to God. There are souls that are called by God to become saints. All souls are called by God to become saints. But that in coming to him with reserve and not giving him, God, their whole love, they retain some affection for earthly things and they, ne they never become, they never will become holy. Not until we give up the attachment to the things of the world. Then we will become holy. I remember about 35 years ago, Archbishop Lefebvre giving us a conference in Ridgefield, Connecticut, based upon the talks of Venerable Lieberman, who was one of his teachers. And he said, the reason why there are so few saints is because we all want to be attached to something here on earth. To desire to fly, but being held down by some attachment, they cannot fly. They remain fixed on earth. Dear men, we must therefore strip ourselves of everything. Every thread, says St. John, whether great or small, hinders the soul from flying to God. It might be alcohol. It might be impurity. It might be dishonesty. It can be a whole host of things. St. Gertrude, St. Gertrude and King David, were two of the first adorers of the Sacred Heart of our Lord. 
even before this devotion was established by St. Margaret Mary. St. Gertrude once prayed to the Lord that he would teach her what he would have her do. St. Gertrude had a unique union with our Lord. Even in her childhood, she desired only to do what God wanted of her. That's why he said to another nun, God said to another nun, I desire dwelling in the heart of Gertrude. The Lord answered St. Gertrude, I desire nothing from thee but a devoted heart. And thus did David pray, create in me a clean heart, O God. You're reading, you're listening to the writings of Thomas Akempis. You know he was up for canonization. And so when they exhumed his body from the grave, they found claw marks inside the casket. They had buried him alive. And so the process of canonization stopped. I have no doubt that he was a saint. The brilliance that he is exuding in his imitation of Christ. I have no doubt that the church takes no chance in pronouncing canonization. Thomas Akempis wrote all for all. To gain all, we must give all. To possess God, we must leave all that is not of God. The soul can say to the Lord, my Jesus, I have left all for thee, now give me thyself holy. I often say to my students in the 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th grades, whom I love to teach, love to be with, such wonderful classes these last few years, I say to my students, if you do not ask, you do not get. It was proposed to me last uh, September, October, I believe, that we get a new residence for the older retreatants, for the sisters, and for the seminarians as they come for the camps. And I put into practice what I told the children. If you don't ask, you don't get. I sent out hundreds of letters to different traditional Catholics and benefactors and attend attendees and things. And due to yours and their generosity, we now have a new retreat building. Due to yours and their generosity. I tell, they always ask, Father, can we mark out one on the test? I usually let them sweat for a minute or two or three, and then I'll tell them, yes, you may, or no, you may not. If they've studied, I let them mark out one. If they have been lazy, then I don't let them do that. To attain holiness, we must not cease to ask, to beg God that he would fill us with his holy love. Love is that mighty fire that burns up everything inside of us that is not of God every affection to the things of the world. That's what love is. When you're totally consumed and your heart's like that burning bush on Mount Sinai. With my kids, I say Mount Tabor and see if any of them are awake to correct me. Mount Sinai. St. Francis de Sales says that when a house is in flames, we throw the furniture out the window, try to save it. By which he meant that when a soul is in flame and the divine love takes possession of it, that soul has no need of sermons. You're not there yet. That soul has no need of spiritual directors. You're not there yet, nor am I. To detach itself from the world. 
God himself, like a mighty fire, cleanses and purifies the heart and despoils it of everything that is unworthy of love. That's what the saints felt. Holy love is introduced in the Canticle of Canticles under the symbol of a wine cellar. We read in the book of the Canticle of Canticles, the king brought me into his wine cellar. He created love with me. In this blessed cell, the souls that are brides of Christ become inebriated with the wine of holy love. They become drunk with the love of Jesus. They lose all sense of the things of the world. They admire God alone. In all things they seek God alone. In all things they speak only of God. In all things they desire to think only of God. And when they hear others speak of the riches, dignities, and pleasures of the world, they turn to our Lord, at least in their mind, and they say to him with a burning sigh, my God and my all. For holy souls, God becomes their total joy. He is our total commitment, contentment, excuse me. St. Teresa wrote, when speaking of the prayer of union with God, that this union consists in dying to all worldly things in order to possess nothing but God. I hope you have your pencils ready. That a soul may give itself to God entirely, three things are necessary. First is the avoidance of all defects. The avoidance of all defects, even the least. Accompanied with conquest over every inordinate desire. Such as an abstinence from observing such and such an object or sight or hearing or gossip fact little juicy facts that we don't need to know and we shouldn't know. <clears throat> the abstinence from little pleasures of the senses, from certain witty or unnecessary conversations. The first is to avoid all defects. When you can say that you truly try to avoid all defects, then you can have confidence that you've gained a plenary indulgence when you Go pray the six Our Fathers, Hail Marys, and Glory Bees for the poor souls. When you do something, read scripture 15 minutes a day for a month. Then you can be confident you have a hatred of venial sin. That's one of the conditions necessary for gaining a plenary indulgence. If we like speaking like a sailor, if we like grabbing onto things that aren't ours and taking them with them, the little pencil at the office or little uh, pad of paper or whatever the case may be, a little calculator and things, then we never gain in plenary indulgence because we don't have a hatred of venial sin. The first, to avoid all defects. The second, amongst things which we have a choice, don't choose the good. Choose the best. Okay? Choose the best. You can always choose the best. You won't always succeed in performing the best, but you can always choose the best. Choose that which is most pleasing to God. Someone just asked me, isn't that a contradiction to don't let the better be the enemy of the good? It is not. 
If you can't achieve a better because of some physical restraint, money, time, energy, still do that which is good. Don't waver. The second is to choose the best in any choices. The third is to receive with pleasure or with peace of mind and thanksgiving from the hands of God all that is displeasing to yourself. The third is to receive from the hands of God with joy and pleasure all that is displeasing to yourself. Okay. When you're served something at a meal, someone else made it for you. A little five, six, seven-year-old, we expect them to stick their nose up at it and say, Ew, we don't for us. We graciously receive it. And we consume it to please the cook. Avoidance, choice, and receiving. How can I see our Lord dying on the shameful cross, despised by all, consumed with anguish, and then consume myself with the pursuit of earthly pleasures and glories? Our Lord teaches us from what things we ought to separate ourselves and what we must do to be holy His. Holy is W-H-O-L-L-Y. I say that because of my accent. I know many of you don't under, can't understand the hillbilly accents. God wills that we should give ourselves to him without reserve, that we might unite ourselves wholly to his heart. The Blessed Mother, and I know all of you men have a great reverence for the one that Jesus loved most in life. She will help you obtain the graces you need, especially that of perseverance. Perseverance is a grace which is a free gift of God. It cannot be merited. It is only for God to give to whom he wishes. We can make ourselves disposed to receive, but we cannot merit final perseverance. And that's what it all comes down to. There are two great means of becoming holy. The first is to desire, and the second is resolution. All holiness consists in loving God. The love of God is that infinite treasure in which we gain the friendship of God. God is a true friend, as Thomas Akempis was explaining this morning. God is ready to give this treasure of his holy love, but he will only give it to those who earnestly desire it. You're not going to get to heaven by a faint desire, by a casual, yeah, I'd like to be in heaven with God. You're not going to get there that way. You know in life that he that faintly desires any good takes little trouble to get it. Often parents will ask me if they should send their kids to college. It's a horrible place to be, but there are many doors are open with a college diploma. And I said I would never pay for my kids' college fully. Let them have some skin in the game. When I was a little boy, we didn't have a lot. And my brother and I made up a game. We called it Crash, Crash, Bang, Bang. 
We were little kids, 10 years old at the time. We used our brother's and sister's bicycle to destroy each other, to run into each other. But then when we got our own bicycles, we didn't let a single scratch get on those. When you have some skin in the game, you take care of things. When you strive for holiness, then you will receive it. St. Lawrence Justinian said that an earnest desire lightens all toil, excuse me, all toil, and gives us strength. One who little desires to advance in divine love, instead of becoming more ardent in the way of perfection, becomes ever more lukewarm. We gave a day of recollection to the high school students last month, this month, I'm sorry. And I said, if we are lukewarm, what are we? The boys whom I gave the conference to first, not a single one of them knew what the answer. I asked the girls and four or five of them guessed, but then one girl said the right answer. She probably used a different word to be polite. We're vomit. We're vomit. If you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And to desire to become holy casually or a little desire makes us lukewarm. And instead of progressing towards holiness, we put ourselves in imminent peril of falling headlong into hell. Whoever aspires with fervent desire after perfection and strengthens himself daily to advance in this path, little by little will attain holiness. There is a principle that you learn early in ascetical theology that uh, the, the soul does not stand still. None of you are where you were yesterday. None of you. It is our obligation to progress forward no matter how slightly we progress. It's our obligation each day to become better. If we do not become better, we become worse. There's no sitting still. And so we must desire to progress. We must aspire. To aspire means to strive for something you do not have but is obtainable. Holiness is obtainable. St. Therese again, a young nun who was so close to God. She said, God never gives many favors except for those who earnestly desire his love. And to those, God leaves no good desire without its reward. And therefore the saint advises everyone not to slacken in his desires, trusting God to give him the grace of his heart's desire. God will give it. It's a deceit of the devil to claim that it is prideful to want to be a saint, to ask God to help you to be a saint. That is prideful according to the devil. We must desire with a very great desire to attain a lofty degree of holiness, of divine love. Because when we do, all things are possible with him that strengthens us. If we do not find that we possess this great desire, ask for it. If you don't ask, you don't get. Ask for it. Ask for it. 
The very first time I asked for money as a priest, I remember it. I remember where I was. I remember who I was with. I remember the street name. There were some ladies, three or four ladies there. I had just gotten a call within the last 24 hours from a mother who couldn't afford to buy shoes for her kids and they were worn out. I'm new in this business then. So I go up to the ladies, how generous do you ladies feel today? And they say, what do you mean? I said, oh, there's someone that needs some shoes. Every one of those ladies reached into their pockets and before the next 10 minutes were up, we had enough money to buy those kids shoes. If you don't ask, you don't get it. Our Lord wants you to ask because he wants to give. If you do not have a great desire to save your soul, ask for it. If you do not have relish going into church and being on your knees in front of our blessed Lord and the, our Lord in the blessed sacrament, ask for that relish. You do so when you eat, your hot dog tastes a little plain. You ask for some relish or some ketchup or some mustard or whatever you put on them. Good desires must be accompanied by a determined spirit to strengthen ourselves in the attainment of the desired good. Many desire perfection, don't you all? But don't take the means to gain it. They want to accomplish great works of penance and prayer. They want to endure martyrdom. But such desires for them are mere fantasies. Instead of benefiting them, they do them great harm, thinking, oh, I'm going to be a martyr someday. Pray that you have the courage to be a martyr someday. Ask God to give you that grace. These are the desires which slay the slothful men, inefficacious desires of holiness. These are the ones which slay the giants, so to speak. Such a person feeding himself upon these fruitless desires pays no attention to his defects, pays no attention to his mortifications, the mortification of his appetites, pays no attention to patience and suffering, and suffering contempt and cross. These are key, my dear men, to pay attention to your defects to make your examination of conscience each night if you can. Only takes a few minutes to practice mortification. Does the shower always have to be boiling hot when you take it? Does the food always have to have its ketchup and mustard and hot sauce? Do you always have to become impatient at the little crosses sent your way? He would do great things which are incompatible with his present condition and therefore his imperfections increase. In every time of diversity he is agitated, every infirmity makes him impatient, and thus he lives imperfect and he dies imperfect. If you truly want to become a saint, here's six more suggestions for you. Resolve to avoid every venial sin, no matter how slight. Secondly, detach yourselves from earthly things. Don't wait until you're the last weeks of your life, last months of your life, to detach yourself. 
Use the goods that you have obtained now to produce more good. Make your actions pregnant with, with good deeds for others. Thirdly, let us not cease our accustomed exercises of prayer and mortification. There's going to be times, like St. Alphonsus, when prayer is dry. I had a young man tell me that he stopped praying because God doesn't listen to him. Prayer doesn't work. He's not even 20 years of age, and the genius has already concluded that prayer doesn't work. He's already made a liar of God. Ask anything in my name, and I will grant it to thee. That young man was not asking in God's name, and he was blaming God for his defects. It's a young man that I love very dearly, and I doubt that he will, I doubt that he has the faith. I doubt that he will get the faith anytime soon again. He needs your prayers. Fourthly, you should meditate daily upon the passion of our Lord. Nothing inflames the heart as the consideration of our Lord's suffering. 15 minutes a day, and even if you have the habit of mortal sin, you will give up either the 15 minutes a day of meditation on our Lord's suffering, or you will give up the mortal sin. Fifthly, Resign yourselves in peace to the will of God. He that in troubles resigns himself to God, runs to God, and God takes care of the problem. Resign yourself to his holy will. A few years ago, we had tornadoes around here that stayed on the ground and destroyed businesses. I observed the owner of one business. He didn't get upset. He didn't blame God. He accepted it as the will of God, perhaps for his own purification, perhaps for his purging sin from his own life. Let us, and lastly, let us continually beg God for the gift of his holy love. You don't ask, you don't get. So I tell the kids, usually a boy raises his hand as soon as I start to pass out the test. I tell the little boys, you don't ask, you don't get. You don't bother me when you ask these questions. I'd do the same if I were you. St. Therese tells us that the devil has no dread of the irresolute soul. One that can't resolve to avoid sin. The devil has no dread of that person. He's not much worried about that person. As long as that soul is irresolute, he won't, he won't go anywhere. On the contrary, he who resolves to give himself truly to God will overcome even what seems impossible. A resolved individual will conquer everything. Forty years ago, I think I'm correct there, excuse me, 39 years ago, Father Jenkins came to Cincinnati at the request of Bishop Kelly to take over the school. 
there was a very conservative Novus Ordo nun, Sister Monica. Sister Monica developed a phonics program, which we use in our school, which is used all over the country. She told one of our parishioners that that school will succeed because of the determination of that priest. She's speaking of Father Jenkins. And she was very correct. You have to be determined and resolved. Even if you're by yourself, if you're doing what is right, you're doing what is pleasing to God, don't look for allies. As Thomas Akempis said, today they're there, tomorrow they're gone. Don't look for allies. Do it yourself. God will be your ally. Let us redeem the time that remains to us and give it all to God. All time that is not given to God is lost. I was in one of my sister's houses 10 years ago. And I'm a big collector of religious pictures, paintings. She had a painting of nature, a lake is in their kitchen. Nice picture. And I told her that's wasted wall space. She should have a religious picture. I was joking with her. But I said, it's wasted wall space. A friend of mine from New York called me up three, four months ago and asked me, does God abandon us? Can God abandon us? He had heard that God will not abandon us. God would never abandon us. Well, that's conditional, my dear friends, whether he will abandon us or not. He will, not, he will abandon us if we turn our backs on him. Council of Trent says that. Sixth session, I don't know what chapter, will abandon us. He abandons the soul that chooses to drive him from their souls. God can't force you by his own will. He doesn't force us. He gave us free will to choose him. So he can abandon us and he will abandon us unless we choose him, unless we accept from him the grace of life, sanctifying grace in our souls. Once again, resolve to commit not even the slightest venial sin. Give yourself to God without reserve. Choose that which is most pleasing to God. Don't wait for tomorrow to do what you can do today. Tomorrow never comes. And pray daily to increase your love for God. With love, everything can be done and nothing is impossible. To gain everything, that's what you're asking. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. To gain everything, we must give everything to God. We have lived for so many years on earth and what little progress we've made. We have progressed in our faults, in our self-love, in our sins. 30 years ago, I had a young man come to me. He said, Father, I have become the person that I always hated. He wanted to go to confession. He did go to confession, made a good confession. But he said before, I have become the person that I've always hated. He developed sinful habits. He knew they were wrong. He knew they were displeasing to our Lord. But the good thing is, he knew how to get out of those 
habits. He knew how to get out of that bondage of Satan by a good confession. If we make no progress, we shall live this life even unto death. We won't change. There's not going to be some glorious awakening the day we die. The last few minutes we're gasping for breath. Our whole body is riddled with pain. We can't even get a breath into our lungs. Our lungs are burning. Is that the time that we're going to turn to God? That's not when love begins. Love begins here and now, right now. While we're on this earth, while we're healthy, while we can do, this is when love must begin. Not when it, there's no other choice between uh, we either love God or go to hell. That's not love. We must truly love our Lord and leave all to please him. Our Lord has poured out his blood that he might make us his own. He redeemed us. He bought back our souls. We, what we obtain, we receive from the merits of our Lord and from the Blessed Virgin Mary. Dear men, we must separate ourselves from anything that may hinder us from belonging wholly to God who has loved us so much.